understand that it's not how we start. It's not where we are at the beginning, but it's if we're consistent and if we play it out and if we are faithful to the end, Lord, help us, help each one of us that have people that are, are your people that have been given wonderful blessing, tremendous blessing, started at the pinnacle of our relationship with you, Lord, help us to end that way. Help us to, to continue in our hearts and our lives and in in, in who we are, Lord, to, to please you, not just at the beginning, but Lord, throughout our lives. Lord, give us a, a great ending also. Lord, help us to learn. Lord, we pray this morning that you'd help us to understand what this means to have a perfect heart and then how to play that out in our lives. Lord, I pray that you just bless and, and all that's said and done this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> the last time that we were here, which was probably a month ago now, we looked at preparing the heart, verse number 18 of this passage of First uh, Chronicles chapter 29 in our text. We said that a perfect heart is prepared in the thoughts, verse 18, and the deeds under the Lord and to obey his commandments. And remember, what we said was, until your heart is prepared, until you're convicted of God, until you have your focus drawn tight to the Lord, you're not ready to be saved. It's funny how a person can go through the experience of learning in classes like that are pre presented here and in the different teen classes, adult classes, and the, and the teaching in the, in the services, and you understand the Word of God to a degree where our, intellectually we, we get it, but we don't get it here. And a person can go through an experience or knowledge about the Lord, but not knowing the Lord. And it takes a person coming to repentance. And before you're, before you're convicted, you're not there. You, you, you're not prepared. And remember, we, we talked about that. And who knows? It might be you today have come to the place where, where, where God is knocking at your door. And you understand and you know it and you hear it. Maybe you're prepared today to take that step. Thank the Lord. But there's a preparation time that God brings us to the place to where we get prepared to deal with him. We talked about that, that last time. Now today we're <coughs> going to jump off from verse 19 in our text here, First uh, Chronicles 29, verse 19, to illustrate that perfect heart that David was talking about, that he prayed for Solomon to have. The word perfect is the Hebrew word shalem, related to shalom, you know, the uh, derivative of the word for peace in Hebrew. A perfect heart is a complete or a whole heart that is at peace. A heart that has made peace with God. That's a perfect heart, complete, a whole, uh, uh, a uh, heart at peace with God. Having a perfect heart would enable one to keep God's commands or to obey his word and to build for him. A rebel in heart cannot obey God. Do you hear what I said? A rebel in heart can't please God, can't serve God, cannot have a relationship with God. And that's illustrated in Romans chapter 8, verse number 5. Paul says here, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Okay, so that's simple enough. We understand that. <coughs> if you're in the flesh, 
Here's, we're not talking about being spiritual or having a relationship with the Lord being born again. No, no, just normal people, aside from that, or before they get born again, they're in the flesh. All of us have a body because we were born in the flesh. We have a fleshly life. And it says, they that are in the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. They, they take care of the things that have to do with the flesh, with just the, the, uh, the physical. We understand that. We understand that, you know, you talk to your loved ones, your neighbors, your relatives sometimes, and you want them to get it. You want them to understand how important salvation is, but they're not worried about salvation. They're not worried about the spiritual things. They're not worried about what's coming up in eternity. No, they're worried about their job and what they make and, and their friends and how they get along here, and whether or not they can get ahead right here, right now. They that are of the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to make somebody who's, who's of the flesh to be concerned about spiritual things. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't happen. It, it, it can't happen because they that are of the flesh, they do mind the things of the flesh. If you're of the spirit, you're, you're saved, you're born again into God's family, now you can understand, you can be concerned about the things that are of the spirit. That's what he says. That are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. He goes out. <coughs> For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. If you're carnally minded, it's going to end up in death and separation and in, in, in pain. If you're spiritually minded, you're going to end up in, in life and peace and, you, and you'll have blessing, especially from God. He goes on, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That means enmity is the same, you know, where we get the derivative word enemy. You're at enemies. You're, you're fighting. You're in opposition. For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not... Now, pay attention, folks. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. Somebody who's in the flesh, who's carnal, is, is in opposition to God, to spiritual things, and they cannot... What does it say here? It says they, they cannot, they're not subject to the law of God. The Ten Commandments, all the commandments of God, when God says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy, they can't do that. They're not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. There, there's no way for a person who is lost to be able to follow the commands, the laws of God. They cannot do that. He says uh, uh, in verse number 8, he, he uh, brings it all to a, a, a terse statement. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're lost without Christ, you've never been born again, you cannot please God. Pastor, I've never been born again, but I go to Sunday school, or I, I read my Bible, or I'm good to people, or I give money. Matter of fact, there's some needs that here in the church that I heard about, and I'm, I'm giving. It's wonderful. But you know what? If you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. You're not pleasing God. You can't please God. If you're in the flesh, you're at opposition, at enmity against God. You cannot please God. And he says, but Christian, ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have, have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. What he's saying is, either you're saved, and you've got the spirit of God in you, and you do please God, you're, you're uh, 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 in a spiritual realm, spiritual entity, or if you don't have Christ, you're none of his. 
It doesn't matter. You're not born again. You're not going to heaven. You're none of his. You're, you're not in that situation <coughs> to where you're going to get benefit from God. You're not going to heaven. You're not going <coughs> to be able to uh, do the law of God or follow the law of God or have your heart inclined to the things of God. No, no. If you're not, if you don't have Christ, you're, you're either in or you're out. You know, some people say, are, are you saved? Are you going to heaven? Well, you know what? I'm closer. I'm... No, no, no. It's either in or out. It's not, it's not halfway. You're never halfway there. There is no purgatory, folks. I was taught that, okay, if you don't miss perfection or whatever, then you go to purgatory. You burn for thousands of years or whatever, and then you're ready to go. No, no. If, you're, if you don't have Christ, you're none of his. You're not going to heaven. You're going to die and go to hell. That's what it is. Uh, the, 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 the morning after the Titanic disaster, there were some 1,200 or 13, whatever, 1,500 people that, were, that, were, that perished in those cold waters. And, and there was a, a, a log, a ship's log of all the people that were said to be on that boat. And, you know, there were kings and there were peasants. There were, there were people that, that worked in the, in the galley. And there, were, there were people that were, were the cream of the crop of the society. of that. And, and after it was all said and done, you know, there are all kinds of different categories and different religions and different whatever. <coughs> but they had uh, one, one uh, 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 list with two categories. That was it. Saved and lost. That's it. Those that were plucked out of the waters and were saved or those who perished. And folks, without Christ, you're going to hell. You're not going to make it. If you don't have Christ, you're none of his. None of his. Because you're at enmity against God. For they that are in the flesh cannot please God. <clears throat> Trying to get your kid to follow the Lord. And boy, you're having a really hard, a tough time of that. You know, trying to get them to read their Bible or to go to church or, or apply some spiritual things or to have a spiritual outlook. And man, it just seems like an upward battle. You're pushing and pushing and pushing and they're not getting it. Or they're opposing and they're fighting. And, and, you're, you know, and you're saying, what in the world's wrong? Uh, <clears throat> it's been a struggle. Have you ever entertained the idea that he or she maybe just lost? And that's who they are. If they're, if they're not saved, they don't have Christ, they're at enmity again. They cannot please God. He can't. She can't. You can't get your husband or your wife to want to serve God as you do. And you pray about it and you're doing everything. They, maybe they're just natural. Maybe they're just in the flesh. They, they can't. They're not subject to the law of God. If you're trying to make someone fit into Christianity without true conversion, it's a losing battle, folks. It doesn't happen. It can't happen. It will not happen. Jesus taught these very truths through illustrations, parables, earthly stories that teach heavenly meanings, and one time in Luke chapter 5, verse 36, this is what he said, and he spake also a parable unto them, no man <clears throat> putteth a piece of a new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. I had to ask my wife about this. She's a 
seamstress, if that's what you call them. Uh, she sews and she does that kind of thing. And, and uh, so I asked her, okay, what about a patch? You know, you take, you know, if you have new denim patch and put it on old denim jeans or whatever, you got a, a rip or whatever. And, and she says, well, what happens is the new is firm or, or strong. It doesn't give, there's no give. The older is, uh, you know, it's older and it stretches some, and so it gives some. And so therefore, if you put a new patch on old clothes, then it doesn't work. It rips the old. And so I, I guess I, I can understand that. He goes on to say, verse 37, <clears throat> same illustration, he's teaching the same thing. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall, shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. Now, in both of these examples, there must be an agreement of substances. Both must be old, or both must be new. You can't mix them. Because if you mix them, it won't work. By the way, right here, let me give a shameless plug. July 21st, in the Sunday evening services, we're going to be the beginning of a, a series on pot or alcohol entitled, Should I Light Up? Is it okay for me to light up, you know, to light up a joint? Uh, can I have a beer? Or maybe we should entitle it, Can I Light Up? Because it's for the believer. <clears throat> this is not for the world. Again, we're not trying to teach the world what the, the world to, to do God's laws because they can't. There's no, no, we're talking about that. that. That doesn't work. But for us, for believers, those of us that know the Lord, does the Bible teach moderation? Or does the Bible teach total abstinence? What does the Bible teach? Folks, there's a big push today, a real big push in Christianity for moderation. And they say, this is what they say. They say, no, no, the Bible teaches that moderation, that, that you can drink as long as you don't get soused, as long as you know, uh, <clears throat> as the Bible says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess. Okay, so don't go into the excess, but that means that you can drink a little bit. No, uh, is that really what the Bible says? <clears throat> we're going to look at this passage, the passage that we're, we're looking at in Luke chapter 5, and every other scripture that deals with alcohol, drunkenness, and what God commands concerning moderation. In today's society, where pot is now legal, it's legal in this state, and it's probably going to go uh, nationwide pretty soon, there's more and more of a pressure for believers to lighten up with the Bible thumping here and enjoy a beer or wine once in a while. Or how about just, you know, lighten up a joint or two? The overwhelming majority of popular Christianity in our society says that the Bible teaching is clearly moderation. That's what the Bible teaches because they say, well, didn't Jesus make wine? Didn't he drink wine? But is that what the, really what the Word of God says? Is that, is that what it teaches? We're going to definitively look at the biblical teaching on believers' relationship with alcohol and mind-altering drugs what the Bible says about that. We want to be equipped with Bible teaching on the subject. Get the answers to the question, does the Bible teach moderation? 
We're going to be dealing with that, all right? So that's what we're going to do and starts the evening service of July 21st. Be there. Get your friends to be there. Uh, tell, tell others. I mean, this is, this is a controversial subject, um, but we're going to see what the Bible says. We're going to take a look at scriptures that are for and against all of it. We're not going to, we're not going to uh, play favorites. We're going to see exactly what the Bible says because we want to know what the Bible teaches on that. So we're going to start that real soon. <clears throat> So anyway, getting back to <clears throat> Jesus' object lesson in Luke chapter 5 concerning the patches and the fermenting of wine. You remember he says, you don't put a new patch in old garment. You don't put new wine in old bottles. <clears throat> we need to um, <clears throat> emphasize the truth that both examples teach that there must be an agreement of substances. Both must be old or both must be new. You cannot mix them. That's what he's saying here. A combination of old and new won't work. The new patch will be stronger and give less than the surrounding old garment and will tear the pants or the dress or whatever it is at the attachment part. We understand that. <clears throat> Concerning the new wine, now, years ago I mistakenly believed that in a fermenting, fermenting process, grape juice was to be placed in skins that would stretch. The bottles they're talking about here are like goat skins, you know, leather skins. Those are the bottles. And... Uh, we're talking about whether, you know, whether they stretch or don't stretch. And so I used to think, and I used to uh, teach that, well, uh, when you ferment you know, grape juice into alcohol, you put them into skins that would stretch. But those leather goat skins or bottles couldn't stretch again in a second fermentation process. Uh, they're not elastic, elastic enough. So you needed new unstretched skins to ferment grape juice into alcoholic wine. But see, the problem was I didn't exactly understand that fermentation process. What I learned was a huge amount of gas escapes in that fermentation process. No skins on earth could stretch enough even to process grape juice in alcohol one time. It doesn't work. It can't. Too much gas uh, comes out. Uh, every bottle will, will burst. No, no, jars with loose lids have got to be used to allow massive amounts of gas to escape through the fermentation process. Jesus was not telling us, he wasn't instructing us on how to properly make wine. He was not say, uh, telling that. He was telling us on how to not produce alcohol and destroy the skins and lose the juice. <clears throat> if any skin was ever used previously <coughs> to house alcohol, that's an old bottle, no matter how empty or how clean it was, it yet had enough trace alcohol in the leather to start a fermentation process all over again when it was filled with pure grape juice. So that's why Jesus says, you don't take new wine, grape juice, and put it in old bottles, bottles that were, were used to make alcohol, or to how, not make alcohol, but to house alcohol. Once it was already fermented, you couldn't make it in that thing. But after it was alcoholic, then you could put it in there and empty it out. And now you've got new grape juice. And he says, you can't put new grape juice into bottles that were already used and had alcohol in it. And that's what, he, that's what he's saying. Here's a, so here's a person that merely wants to save his pure grape juice. I've got grape juice, I want to save it. He could do that in a new or a clean bottle. A bottle that was never used but not in an old bottle that once housed wine. See, the trace substance would interact with the new grape juice that would be put in there and start a fermentation process all over again and, and surely burst the bottle. 
the bottle and the juice would, would both then be lost. Okay? So that's what Jesus is saying. You can't do that. You, you're going to lose the grape juice if you put it in a, a contaminated uh, vessel. Okay? Now, remember, in both examples, Jesus said with a patch and with a, with a wine, uh, with a grape juice, in both examples, there must be an agreement of both new or both old. You can't mix the new with the old. It doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. This new life that Jesus is teaching must be housed in a whole new container. You can't take what Jesus is telling us and what he's teaching us and put it in an old life, an old person, an old, old body. When somebody is saved, old things are passed away. <coughs> the Bible says all things are become new. And the substances and the vessel are become new. Nobody can successfully live the Christian life in an unregenerate body. That's what Jesus is teaching here. <coughs> it just doesn't work. The principles that God gives us in his word, and I'm, try, I'm, an, I'm a, an unsafe person, and I want to I do this, uh, new wine and old skins, and I try to do that. It doesn't work. You need a whole new vessel. <coughs> you need a whole new framework, a new heart, <coughs> a new mind, a new wanter. You have to have a new desire, a new destination and goal. Believe you me, I've tried. It does not work. Trying to be a Christian when you're not and making the outside Christian, it doesn't work. That's exactly what Jesus is saying here. I know friends today who say that very thing. Pastor, Christianity doesn't work. I've given it all I've got and I can't love the things that God loves. I try, but I can't. You're right. They say, I can't do what God wants me to do. I can't refrain from what I'm supposed to stay away from. Uh, I don't have any spiritual desire. I want what I want. There's nothing but failure in this Christianity. It doesn't work. And they're right. They're right. They're right. It does not work. You can't take the, the new and put it in an old framework. It doesn't work. <clears throat> You've got to have a new vessel. You've got to be born again. You got to have a new heart. That's what Jesus is saying. <clears throat> Divine principles in an old life, an old heart, a sinful nature, of course it's not going to work. As the Bible says, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Christianity like that doesn't work without a new birth, without a spiritual heart transplant. A divine makeover. You need a divine makeover. You need a whole new vessel, a new heart, a new mind, a new life for it to work. And David prays for his son. God, give him a perfect heart. Give him that kind of a heart that he would love, that he would want to, that he would be able to serve you. It's getting back to our text. David prays for Solomon, his son, to develop that perfect heart so that he could and that he would be able to do God's work. Remember verse 19. He says, And give unto Solomon my son a perfect heart to keep thy commandments, thy testimonies, thy statutes, and to do all these things to build the palace. You see, folks, there was only one way for Solomon to ever be able to do this, to serve God. He had to get it. That was having a perfect heart. A heart that was full, complete, at peace with God. David had that. 
Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This was the justification that David enjoyed. <clears throat> Romans chapter 4, 4 talks about David in verse number 5. He says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness, even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. He's quoting some of David's psalms, his songs that he wrote, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Amen. Folks, I'm a guilty sinner. And I don't make it on my own. I can't. Uh, I, I don't deserve, not a bit. I've been forgiven. I've been pardoned. The righteousness of Christ has been applied to me, and now I'm accepted in the beloved. <laughs> and that's blessed, folks. That is blessed. You've got to have that. You've you got to have that. That's the, that's the key. Now, I believe that Solomon <clears throat> did get his daddy's faith. Everything points to that fact. He prayed and had answers to prayers. He followed God. He was blessed. Solomon loved the Lord, started out with a perfect heart that David prayed for, uh, for him to secure. What a glorious king, what a glorious beginning of his reign. I'm telling you, David, uh, Solomon started off, off wonderfully with that perfect heart. We read that in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse number 3. And <clears throat> Solomon loved the Lord. Verse 5 when God says, ask what I shall give thee, and, and so he does. He's, and he says in, in verse 7, I'm but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. He says, I, I want an understanding heart, in verse number uh, 8, and that please God. What a great start. What a great start. Boy, did God ever bless him. Wisdom and riches and peace and strength and honor and glory. And we'll, we'll be going over some of these things, but what a great beginning. Nobody in the history of men had ever started so elevated, so high, and then fallen so greatly in his failure. And, I, and I'm talking about fallen, hard, far. In 1 Kings chapter 11, now note <clears throat> from 1 Kings chapter 1, 2, 3, from that time to 11, eight chapters later, eight chapters later, you have to, to go, there's eight chapters of, of talking about Solomon's glorious reign, what it was, how others came to hear that. It was, it was ex exemplary. What a, what a wonderful start. What a glorious start. Those eight chapters talk about his wealth and his, that was un, unsurpassed. His glory, his honor, his wisdom. Talk about wisdom. And then you read in verse number, in chapter 11, 1 Kings 11, 1. <clears throat> but King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, who the women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, ye shall not go into them. Now, he, he even... Uh, uh, in, in places right here uh, in the, the history of Solomon, what happened to Solomon, what God said about it. God said, don't do that. Don't go there. Stay away from that. The Lord said, you shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely, surely, <coughs> not maybe. Not there's a chance. No, no, he says, if you do that, surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, little g, idolatry. Solomon claved to these in love. He had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. 
For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. Duh. Duh. What did you think? God said don't do this and he does it multiplied times. Multiplied. And look what it says then. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God. That was the heart of David his father. Well, this is in his latter part when he's older. He started off with a perfect heart, but he didn't end up there. For Solomon went after all. Oh, you start reading this stuff, it's, it's, it's a grief. It was, it was a mercy to David to not be able to read these words. I don't know how much he saw from heaven's banister, but this is what it says about Solomon. For Solomon went after Ashtaroth, the goddess of the Zidonians. That's idolatry. And after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. It's false gods. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their little g-gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel which had appeared in him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Can you believe it? Can you believe how far that Solomon went? Not Solomon. Come on, not Solomon. Yes, Solomon. It's not how wise you are, how much you have, how much you've been blessed with, but it's your faith, it's your obedience, your consistency, your fidelity. It's not how you start, but it's how you finish. <clears throat> Years ago, I went to this race in um, Monroe. It was a fair. They put on this, uh, these uh, car races. Sometimes they have a, you know, uh, eight eight track, you know, where they, you know, the demolition derbies, and then they have, you know, fast cars and the slow cars, all different kinds of cars. And this one, they had this one race, and they called it the faster pastor race. And I saw that, and I thought, cool, I'm a pastor. You know, what does that mean? So I show up. Sure enough, they say you're a pastor. You can you can get in one of these little cars that they have, these race cars, and, you know, we have, you know, 10, 15 cars at a time, and you do these, you know, 12 times around in this track, 15 times around in this track, and it's a race. You get in there, I go, really? You sign your life away. You say, you know, if I die, I, I don't care. I get nothing, you know. But I said, sure, I want to do that. So I, <laughs> I did that. So I signed up, and I'm going, this is, really? You're going to let me into one of these cars? At that point, Jeff, um, what was his name? Kessler, Jeff Kessler was working there. And, and years ago, Jeff attended this church. He doesn't now, but uh, he still calls me his pastor. He still, you know, understand. You know, when I see him, he says, hey, pastor, how you doing? So he's there setting people in the, in the cars. And so I get in the car, and I get in the, the last one. There's like 15 cars. I'm in the very last car. They, they placed me. They had a spot for it, so they placed me in the last car. And so Jeff, he's, he's buckling me down, and he's telling him about this and that. And he says, now, Pastor, sorry, you're, you're in last place. There's only like, you know, 10, 15 uh, 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 routes around this, this uh, thing, so you're, you're not going to win, you know. 
and you're, you're going to be in, the, in the, the last. But that's okay. It's going to be fun. Don't worry about it. Just have fun. I said, sure, Jeff, thanks. I appreciate that. He says, just pastor, you know, be, be careful, be safe. But, you know, there's, there's no way. Don't, don't worry about it. You know, you just, it's, it's just the experience. I go, sure, sure. So I get in, <laughs> we get in this car thing. Where's the Ozex? The Ozex, you were there too, remember? Yeah, anyway. So um, <laughs> I, we get in this thing, and so I'm, I'm in this car, and I'm, and I'm going around, and, and these pastors don't know how to drive. <laughs> I mean, people don't, but pastors sure don't. And uh, so, uh, you know, I'm you know a little bit uh, impatient. You know how I am when I drive them anyway. So uh, somebody, somebody spun out up ahead, you know, four or five cars up ahead, seven cars up ahead. They spun out. So I, I get behind that, and everybody's stopping and whatever, and I'm going, forget this. I'm out of here. And you get around there, and I start, you know, passing one after the other after the other. And, and sure enough, I actually... <laughs> get the first first place no kidding you, you got that you got that thing let me let me see it let's see if you got it here it's my dad in the lead right there that's where i am right there like killing everybody no kidding that was me that was me I uh, had the greatest time in my life. I went around there, and you know what? Like killing everybody. Yeah, I killed everybody. First place. I will accept applause, roses, anything else. Yes, yes, no kidding. I got first place. I was so excited I get done. And then Becky says, Dad, remember you got a day job. <laughs> Folks, it's not how you start. It's how you end. Solomon had a start that was unbelievable. Unbelievable. But boy, did he ever mess up. Boy, did he ever mess up. You know what? Each one of us that gets saved... There's never a time that you're closer to God than at your, the time of your salvation. All your sins are forgiven. You're in a relationship to where you've been accepted in the beloved and, and the Lord Jesus Christ cleanses you, cleanses you of all sin and the Heavenly Father is then your Father. It's a wonderful time. And there's nothing between my soul and the Savior at, at that point. I mean, we, we have everything. We have his word. We have his spirit that dwells within us. We have, we have a, a future that is as bright as the promises of God. And God is so faithful to us. And that's how we start. How are you going to end up? How are you going to end up? When you take a look at, at Solomon's great start, you remember Solomon and, and, and where he was? First of all, he procured that perfect heart. That prayer that, that his dad prayed, and Solomon, the Bible says in, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse number 3, David says, God, give him a perfect heart. And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Folks, the only way, the only way that he could have truly loved the Lord was with that regenerated heart. Just as the only way for one to have a father-son relationship, somebody's got to be born again into the family of God. And Solomon was... He, he got that perfect heart. He started with a perfect heart. 
Number two, he presented gratitude. He knew where all of his blessings came from. In verse number six of 1 Kings chapter three, it says, And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy. He talks about all the mercy, all the gifts that God has given him. In verse seven, he says, And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David, my father. He recognized the fountain of all his blessings. He started with a grateful heart. That's his start, folks. He procured the perfect heart. He presented gratitude. Number three, he possessed humility. Boy, he knew he was going to do this himself. Remember his words in 1 Kings 3, 7, And now, Lord, my God, thou hast made thy servant king. Instead of David, my father, I am a little child. Would to God he would have had that at the latter part of his life and said, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Please help me. Hold my hand. Guide me. No, no, he, wouldn't. he, he had it on his own there. But when he started, he says, God, I'm just like a little child. I don't even know how to go out or come in. I don't, I don't know. How, I, I'm lost. I'm lost. I need you to hold my hand. And, and, and he was humble about it. He said, God, I can't do this myself. He was right. What a great start. What a great start. A, a dependence upon God. And then he prayed for understanding. He says in verse 9, Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart. God, I need, I need to discern. I need you to help me. I can't, I can't understand. How appropriate. How appropriate. He wanted to be the best he, he could be. It's appropriate to ask, to equip God, to, to uh, have God equip you to do a good job for him, whatever he set you up to do. He'll provide the tools. You know, sometimes uh, God put, put something in your lap and you say, I can't do that. Right. But you know what? God will give you the tools. God will give you what you need to do that. And, and Solomon prayed. He said, God, I need these things. I, I want to do a good job for you. And so he, he prayed for understanding and God gave it to him. What a great start. But remember, folks, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. He didn't heed his own lessons. They were for others, not for himself. He was, he was above that. He was beyond that. And, and somehow along the way, somewhere along the way, he got tripped up, and he didn't end up like he started. Paul wanted to finish well. He says in Acts 20, 24, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry that God gave him, listen, he says, God, I want to finish right. He was, in the, he was in the process. Folks, I cannot tell you how many people that I have idolized, that I've looked at as heroes in, in, my, in my Christian life, saying, boy, I wish I could be like that person. I wish I could be like him. Wouldn't that be great if, if I had his attitude or whatever, and then watch them fall and watch them go down one after another after another. Goodness. Paul says, God, help me to finish with joy. I want to finish right. 2 Timothy 4, 6, he says, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. And then he says, and he could say this, I have finished my course. I kept the faith. He did. He finished right. How will you finish? How are you going to finish? Folks, how, how, is, how is your Christianity going to end up on your tombstone when it's all said and done in eternity, and you're looking back at your life here, how are you going to finish? I want to finish right. I don't want to just start right. I want to finish right. Every head bowed, nobody looking for just a minute. How are you going to finish? 
Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Help us to 